Welcome, everybody. My name's Gary Fowler. It is great to be here today, and I've got some exciting guests. I'm the CEO, president, and co-founder of GSD Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studios, helping companies from around the world go global using Silicon Valley as a port. And it's with a great deal of admiration and respect that I introduce my friend, Fabio Scassivigliani. And, and Fabio, if I, if I made your name wrong, it's a long one. <laughs> so anyhow, Fabio and I have spent quite a bit of time together over the last year, different panels, VC panels from around the world. He's got an incredible background from uh, University of Chicago to working in the Middle East as an investor, as an analyst, et cetera. So with great pleasure, I'd like to introduce my friend Fabio. Hello, Fabio. Gary, it's always a great pleasure to be with you and with your audience. Uh, you make my day. <laughs> you make my day too. And I got to tell you, I love your haircut. I told you in the green room, I, for a second, I didn't recognize you. I thought, oh my God, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> this is my, you know, New Year's resolution. I'll join the Marines Corps. So uh, I started with a slight change to my physical appearance uh, you know, before training camp. I guess I might have to say yes, sir, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Fabio, how do you go from, you know, so you went to Luis Guido Carla University and mm -hmm. economics. And how in the world do you go from there to University of Chicago? What, what happened? It was like you wake up one day and say, oh, I want to I would like the winter weather in Chicago or what? No, <laughs> if I had known about the winter weather in Chicago, I would have stayed in Rome, believe me. <laughs> I was totally unaware. You know? <laughs> I, I, I was completely misinformed because they told me that University of Chicago has a great fraternities. And then when I got there, <laughs> I realized that they <laughs> had yeah, they lied got a shameless though, Fabio, for penguins. Hmm? <laughs> for penguins. <laughs> they didn't tell you the rest of the story, though. No, 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 you know, it's funny. Whenever you go to Chicago, they talk hmm. about the restaurants and the pizza, and they yeah. talk about the lake in the summertime. Yeah. But they yeah. never talk about the winter. The only <laughs> thing is they say the Windy City, which is great for sailing. But yeah, I'll tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> so, believe me, you don't want to sail in the middle of January. Yeah. I mean, if you're sailing in the middle of January, it's with an ice boat on the river, or the exactly, lake, you know? yeah, a mini Titanic. Uh, on the so, no, I, I mean, how did you go back through, you know, and where did you grow up? What's where were you from originally? in Italy? Uh, uh, I'm originally from a small town um, up on the mountains between, say, Rome and Naples. Uh, it's a fairly you know, like, uh, remote place, um, but it had a very good high school, uh, one of the oldest high school in, uh, in Italy, certainly in the, in the south of Italy which was not um, linked to the church, so it was not a seminary or uh, um, you know, uh, a, a school for priests or for uh, uh, ecclesiastics. And so this uh, was a very small high school, like 70, 75 students 
uh, you know, uh, in total. Now that's yes. a small high school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Were you all in the same room at the same time? Or <laughs> no, 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 not at that point. Like, no, like six No, it was a donation of uh, a rich man to the youth of the time of this small town. Uh, and it was a donation uh, dating back to 1750, more or less. So, so it was a very good school. Uh, I managed to get into this uh, private university uh, in Rome, and then uh, in the, the in my uh, third year in college, uh, a PhD from MIT was appointed Minister of uh, uh, the Budget. It's like, um, was like a branch of the Ministry of, uh, of uh, Finance, the Treasury. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and he <laughs> called from the US all his former uh, classmates Mm -hmm. uh, from Italy and from uh, other countries. So these people uh, came to uh, be part of the team at the ministry and they were teaching at my university as well, my college. And so they, you know, this group of economists uh, pushed me to go abroad and study. Uh, they didn't specifically indicates Chicago. I applied to, I don't know, 20 schools all over the places. And then, um, you know, the, the best one that accepted me was University of Chicago. And that's how I started <laughs> my career as an economist. Wow. that's a, And how many years did you spend in Chicago? Uh, five years. <laughs> <Five cold Hello. laughs> I gotta say this is summers are really beautiful in Chicago. It is really beautiful. People appreciate it. And you know, I guess for a part of the <laughs> I was there yeah, they're fairly hot. Uh, it's not like uh the Mediterranean uh, right. beaches. It's uh it's very cold in the summer, uh sorry, in the winter and fairly hot in the in the summer so you know in chicago you have like uh three months out of 12 where the weather is uh pleasant mm -hmm. but those were the years uh, the like the magic years of the university of chicago you know year after year my professors were getting the nobel prize and uh you know i started with some incredible uh economists i mean the economists who <laughs> wrote the history of uh, of economics and economic theory. So, uh, despite the cold weather, <laughs> I enjoyed the. the, the well, you didn't the, have a lot else to do, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. You know, it was like uh, <laughs> home and library, classroom, home, library. So that was my life. So, what made you decide? You know, you work for the International Monetary Fund. You know, you, you went down through that. You worked for governments. I read about Oman. You were doing work in the Middle East. How did you make your transition? So how did you go, like, I'm going to the IMF, and then I'm going to Oman? It's like, how did you, what was it like? How did you make the transition? 
Well, the, the IMF um, came to recruit on, on campus, so it was one of the many institutions, uh, academic and non-academic, uh, that would recruit PhDs from the economics department. Uh, and in those years, um, when I went on the job market, uh, there was a combination of events. Most... Um, institution, academic institution in the US had stopped hiring because it was there was a crisis. It was an economic crisis. The now it's almost forgotten, but it was the savings and loans uh, crisis, which costed uh, uh, George Bush the first his presidency. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the budgets of most um, state university had been had been slashed. So uh, the main employer of economists that year was the IMF, because with the fall of the Soviet Union, they needed a lot of people to be sent uh, to the the former Soviet Union, the former Warsaw. Uh, packed countries to reestablish the you know market economy to save them from the from bankruptcy. So uh, that's how I landed a job at the IMF, and uh, I worked uh, in the research department the first year. Uh, the second year, <laughs> I was sent to Croatia during the civil war in Yugoslavia. So. <laughs> As long as they didn't put a target on your back, you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I managed to survive. Well, yeah, I guess actually, it was a great experience. It was I a great, you great friends at the IMF. Huh? They said, I know somebody that wants to go. <laughs> no. hey, and listen, we sent him to Chicago already. Let's send him out here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if he's a tough guy, like he says. You know, and listen, he doesn't mind. He, it's going to be a lot of fun. Just tell yeah, him exactly. you know, the coastline is, and, and that kind of. Wow, that's how was that? How was it like when there's a war going on? How in the world did you? Was it like normal? And how did you like work? Incredible. I mean. I had already had some experience of uh, countries of war. I had been in Nicaragua in the early 80s, so I knew how it feels like when uh, you live in a country at war. Uh, and believe it or not, there, is there anything we need to know about? <laughs> <laughs> I was there, I was in Iran, you know, I've been around a few places. <laughs> no, no, I mean, well, that afterwards, I've been to Sudan, Iraq, uh, Lebanon, uh, Israel, and Palestine, I mean, West Bank. So, <laughs> with the same. Croatia, the ones that sent you over there? No, no in, in, well, to Sudan, I was. I went for the IMF, and that, those were the years of the civil war. I mean, you couldn't get out of Khartoum. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in other countries, no. In Iraq, I went for the Oman Investment Fund. We wanted to buy uh, an oil service company. Uh, so I went there, you know, in armored cars. I would move around, you know, with two, with, with five, six people, uh, with Kalashnikov, you know, taking me around 
but um uh no the situation in zagreb well, was, I mean, do you like I, that? was that it was it, it i mean it must be really interesting to be in a situation where you have an emerging economy and you got war going around around you to get yeah. things moving it must be pretty interesting right because you're on the ground floor oh yeah yeah it was incredibly clear by the way uh when the the first the first mission to zagreb um the the uh, the country had experienced hyperinflation or inflation was like uh 100 uh, sorry 1000 percent per wow. year uh and the you know the government of the central bank all of a sudden stopped printing money like said okay from now on forget it if you want to do business in croatia you use Deutschmark because there was a huge uh expatriate community uh, mm -hmm. of croatians in uh germany mostly so they were sending remittances to uh their families and uh the governor of the central bank said well we need to get these marks uh, uh german marks into the economy let's stop with uh with the uh, money printing, he changed the, the currency, um, introduced this uh, kuna, uh, and inflation went from 1,000% to negative in 15 days. Really? Mm -hmm. Now, wait a minute. When, when it's 1,000% inflation, how mm -hmm. in the world do you like buy a loaf of bread? What do you do? Take a wheelbarrow and... How do you like uh, yeah, as soon as you get any any bank or any money, you rush to the the store and try to buy whatever you find there. That's how it works. You know, in the, during the uh, German uh, Weimar Republic, people would use uh, cars to you know get uh, <laughs> with a with a bunch of banknotes like uh, 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 to the to the and store. How was it like the attitude of the people when you're dealing with it? I know in Russia when the ruble got devalued and it dropped like 50%, it was mm -hmm. unbelievable. People would go out to the uh, stores and they were buying like five big screen TVs. I've never seen anything mm -hmm. like it. Uh, mm -hmm. Buying like these goods, they were cameras and TVs. I even yeah. bought a, a watch, right? I mean, what was like, mm -hmm. because it was still at the old price, old ruble price. And I figured I could at least hedge some of my bet, but how yeah. is it like that? How do people survive? I mean, I, when you were in there, and then you said in 15 days it changed. How was that? It must have been like a shock to people. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. Well, I mean, the the the, the hyperinflation in Croatia wasn't something totally un, you know uh, new because Yugoslavia before uh, its collapse had experienced inflation over like hundred percent. So the, the, the phenomenon was already well entrenched, uh, but uh, with the civil war, inflation skyrocketed. So it was like an acceleration of the inflationary process. And so people already knew to, to a large extent how to deal with it, but certainly it was a hit to their uh, savings, to their... Uh, <laughs> Uh, standard of living uh, and well, I mean, it's like uh, every day it changes right it's like four scump it's like a box of chocolates you don't know what you're going to get tomorrow yeah then most people had deutschmark so they would use it for uh, 
you know, if you want to buy a house, you could only buy it with uh, foreign currency. You wouldn't be able to buy anything with uh, a dinner uh, at the time. And um, the the Zagreb, which is a city of um, million plus people, had 400,000 refugees from the areas occupied by the Serbs. So it was not only an economic emergency, it was also you know, a social and humanitarian catastrophe. Uh, but you wouldn't see anyone, you wouldn't see a single person begging in the streets, for example. So all these people had, uh, you know, displayed a dignity which was admirable and wow. um, and uh, so it was uh, it was an interesting experience by the way the economists there were uh, remarkably good the whole team at the central bank first class economists I still I'm still in touch with them after you know 30 years and um, uh, you know, you could really learn something from, from them. From, from so how did you go from that? I mean, you and I have been on a lot of these VC panels around the world together. How did you go from, you know, uh, Iraq, Sudan, Croatia, E-minted? How did this work? It's like, how did you make a transition and in, in investing and, in, in, you know, how did, you, how did that go about? No, no, I don't think I had any, I didn't experience any problem. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm very flexible, but, um, you know, when, when I left the IMF to go work for the European Central Bank right before the introduction of the euro, so I was there when, uh, you know, the euro was created, and uh, that was another uh, extremely important experience for me because you know i witnessed uh, uh the the historical event uh, and I, I, when i left the imf people would say oh but you have a, such a great career why do you want to go to the um, european central bank i said well, i want to witness something that will go down in the history books uh because for good or for bad if it's a success or if it's a failure would be something that people will speak of for uh, the next couple of uh, uh, centuries. The um, MF, it's a very interesting place. You know, we deal with a lot of crises, but most of these crises will be a footnote in the history books, uh, with a few exceptions, obviously. So for me, the, the, the introduction of the Euro to see how from 12 different currencies, or 11 different currencies, you could create like the second the most important currency in the world was you know, uh, really <laughs> being it part of really history. Cool part of that, it yeah, must yeah, have been really exactly. So yeah. what? So what are you? You know, what are you doing exactly? Emitted today. What are you doing? Are you investing? Uh, what are you? What are you looking at? Uh, today, after you know uh, a, a long. Uh, <laughs> experience at the Oman Investment Fund, which is the sovereign wealth fund of the Sultanate of Oman. Um, I became a partner of an investment bank in uh, New York, which is called Golden Eagle. And uh, what I'm doing is I'm building a bridge between the innovative companies in Europe and elsewhere, 
Middle East or um, I don't know, maybe even South America, um, North Africa, uh, and the American capital market. Because in America, you have the most vibrant uh, capital market, but it, it is, in a sense, still very concentrated on the uh, domestic economy. So the um, VC funds in the US uh, deal mostly with Silicon Valley or the other clusters, I don't know, around uh, uh, Boston, uh, maybe Austin for artificial intelligence, uh, um, Washington and Maryland for, uh, you know, defense-linked uh, uh, ventures. Um, and uh, there is a, a wave of innovation in Europe uh, which is still inaccessible or let's say it is still difficult to access for the uh, financial institutions in the US. So I'm building this bridge. Often we uh, list companies on the over-the-counter market because it's the stock market where you can still find money to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, listing, you know, in, in the minds of many people is the um, final step of a long journey that starts with the crowdfunding you know, angels, Series A, B, C, pre-IPO, and then you know you uh, list on Nasdaq. The OTC is an alternative mm -hmm. to this uh, fundraising through uh, um, funds, private equity funds, uh, um, in, you know, friends and families. And uh, it is really um, effective in channeling uh, resources to innovative companies. Uh, and so, by the way, they, the, 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 the listing rules are very favorable for uh, foreign companies. And so that's what we take advantage of. So you're using the invest, the money is primarily from the US then? Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's primarily from the U.S. The, the the companies that we bring are, let's say, half from the U.S., half from the rest of the world. How do you find? Uh, I focus mostly you, on European companies. Fabio, how do you find those companies? So, would, do they come to you, or do you search for them? How does it? Is it? More to My, I have, you know, I have a fairly. Um, you know, popular of, um, <laughs> persona on social media. So I don't even need to uh, search. They come to me most. Oh, that's most great. Yeah. That's fantastic. So yeah. what are you looking for? What kind of, so I have an audience around the world. So we're mm -hmm. Africa, Asia. What are you looking for? What kind of company would you, would be a great company for you today? Uh, a great company in general is a company which has uh, an intellectual property uh, unique mm -hmm. or 
very rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, op- it is disruptive. In other words, it changes the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. To me, for example, e-commerce is not such a big deal. I mean, we have seen everything. I, oh, we have all sorts of websites that sell all sorts of merchandise or services. Of, that to me, uh, that's uh, past tense. It's not innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, uh, ideally, it will create a market or will... Um, greatly expand a market. Um, it will be difficult to replicate. Um, so these are the, the, the main elements uh, that I'm looking for. Uh, and how much uh, in, money in a proposal. do they generally have revenue or not? And how much do you invest in them? How, do, how does it work in terms of investment, that kind of thing? Uh, well, it, it really depends because, for example, you have biotech companies that are that have discovered or they're working on some new drug, new uh, treatment, new uh, device, and uh, uh, they need to finance the the testing phases, phase two and phase three. Uh, so they don't have any revenue at all. And mm-hmm. They will not see any revenue for maybe three, possibly five or six years. So mm-hmm. these are the, you know, the, the riskiest uh, propositions. Uh, otherwise, you have companies that have made uh, a breakthrough. Um, they have developed a prototype. Uh, for example, I have companies that have developed, um, you know, microscopic lasers uh, to modify material or uh, devices, and that's something uh, very, very innovative. Uh, the applications are still, you know, in their infancy. Um, I've seen a company that is trying to um, test, I mean, to to get approved, um, a sort of a helmet which gives you the possibility of measuring objectively the pain. Nowadays, if you go to a doctor and say, oh, I'm in pain, it doesn't have any way to ascertain whether you're saying the truth or not. So this has to do with the opioid crisis, to, with a lot of uh, uh, lost days for illnesses, uh, uh, fake claims to insurance companies. So it's, it's really a game changer if that kind of devices gets approved you know, it will be a new uh, beginning for many uh, branches of uh, medicine and uh, healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we were looking for. Uh, that's the kind of um, uh, companies we like. And uh, what we do, we take them, we, we, we assist them in listing. We have also uh, an asset management branch. In particular, we have a fund 
for innovation. So there are obviously uh, Chinese walls, but um, when our team uh, decides that uh, a venture is interesting, the uh, asset managers look at it and usually they participate in the in the uh, fundraising so it's uh, it's uh, really an exciting time to be in this sort of environment because we are on a cusp of a, I mean you say that all the time uh, you know we're on a cusp of a great wave of innovation uh you are the prophet of artificial intelligence and uh yeah exactly it will be it's like you know <laughs> well the, the high priest at least <laughs> I, the high priest <laughs> maybe the low priest i don't know but i mean it's, it's coming there's changes taking place that's for sure and you know you you know we kid around about chicago but on the other side i know chicago's working really hard to bring startups to Chicago and the specifically for the underserved and to do the right thing. And we do see companies coming out of Silicon Valley and relocating to places like Chicago and Miami and Austin and New York. I mean, it's interesting how this transition's taken place. So, you know, all, all kidding aside, I mean, some of the brightest people I've met are from Chicago, right? They, you know, and, and uh, the university of Chicago is, uh, you know, uh, world-class institution. So there's incredible talent there. It's a matter of getting to that talent, helping them go global and really pulling it out and, and finding those diamonds in the rough, wherever they are. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's uh, very true. By the way, I don't know how many people know that the atomic bomb, like the first uh, controlled nuclear reaction was uh, done in, at the university of Chicago. Underneath uh, the football field at the Manhattan. Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you, the, wonder the, why the you wonder why you get a little glowy when you're going near the football field. It's kind of interesting, right? The bomb is yeah. underneath a football field where there's a lot of people around. Anyhow, listen, we're coming to By the, the, way, the, 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 the guy. The guy who did the experiment, who was an Italian, Enrico Fermi, had been warned. I mean, he had been, uh, you know, explicitly forbidden from doing anything like that because they were afraid that he would blow up the entire city. And he did it nevertheless. It doesn't so, matter, right? <laughs> yeah, he said, oh, you know, you guys, you guys are all the same. Oman, Sudan, Listen, so the top we're at the top of the other, Fabio. Where can people closing thoughts and where can people get a hold of you? Oh, uh, I'm on um, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, I'm Instagram, and um, you know, if they want to send me an email, uh, they can. Uh, my email address is Fabio dot Scacciavillani. So my first name dot my last name at gmail.com. So I'm uh, <laughs> one of the most reachable persons in the world. And uh, if somebody wants to connect with me for any reason, uh, I'll be very happy. Yeah, Fabio's an all-around good guy, genius, you know, understands uh, technology for all around the world. Get a hold of him. 
Fabio, thanks for joining my show today. And stay tuned, everybody, for part two. Thanks, Fabio. And I look forward to seeing you soon. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be with you, Gary. Uh, keep up with the good work. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so we're at part two, and an incredible investor, Jason Jacobson from Propellant, from Chicago, originally from Wisconsin, I believe, and uh, it's great to have him on my show today. So, Jason, how are you doing? It's good to see you. Yeah, great to be here, Gary. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, I got a question for you. There's one thing I was looking for through your profile, and it said, Master Connector. <laughs> And what's a master connector? So my entire career, even starting in college, I've always been a relationship builder. And so I've spent a lot of time building good relationships and then just connecting people together on, almost on a daily basis. I never asked for anything in return. I always paid forward. And I've always found ways to connect people together based on their needs or who I think they should meet. And it's really allowed me to build my network. And so... I, I very rarely uh, leave a conversation without finding a way to assist someone, whether personally or connecting them to someone that could be helpful. Oh, that's excellent. So how do you go from Wisconsin to Chicago and, you know, you were at, uh, you got your MBA at DePaul and then propellant. How did, what was that journey like? So I'm from Wisconsin, just a small town outside of Milwaukee, went to school at University of Wisconsin. It was a very logical place to go considering I was only an hour and a half away, great in-state school, great in, great tuition, you know, all those types of things. And I started my career actually in real estate. I had a degree in finance and real estate. And Chicago being the biggest close city was a logical place to go, especially for real estate. This was more than 20 years ago. And it was a really good town, still is, but back then, really good town for real estate. And again, I never really thought about leaving the Midwest. A lot of people here in the Midwest stay in the Midwest. And I, this was during the first tech boom of the late 90s. So I got really caught up in that world and made the switch a few years in into the entrepreneurship and investor communities and navigated my way through a lot of different programs. I was on the front lines supporting entrepreneurs, managing, facilitating a lot of programs. And capital raising was always something that was top of mind for entrepreneurs. So found myself helping companies raise capital, connecting them to investors. But along the way, I kept on building relationships and realized that entrepreneurs need more than just capital. While they may lead with capital, there's a lot more needs in that. So found my way connecting entrepreneurs to a lot of different resources and continually led to one opportunity after the other and built a pretty sizable network which allowed me then to get into the venture capital industry and ultimately started my own fund. So been in and around the space for, for 20 years. So tell us a little bit about Propellant. What are you doing today? And, and you know, what kind of companies you're investing in? How big is your fund? Yeah, absolutely. So 
we're focused on the Midwest. It's a really untapped opportunity. There are a lot of great companies here, a lot of great entrepreneurs, and not enough early stage capital here. We've had a lot of funds started over the last several years, but we need more capital. So we find ourselves, our sweet spots in the pre-seed and early seed stage where there's less VCs coming in. We focus on co-investing alongside other investors. We can lead those rounds. Generally, we're one of the first professional investors or the first professional investor in the round. And so that's our sweet spot. And we're focused throughout the Midwest in B2B industries such as healthcare, future work, fintech, edtech, and supply chain. We are a great B2B region and we have world-class universities here, over 100 of the Fortune 500 companies here, a lot of great talent. And so B2B is really the area that we believe is some of the greatest opportunities. In fact, Chicago has the highest investor returns in any city across the country in the U.S. And the Midwest is the highest returns out of any regions. There really are great opportunities here. And, and so we're that? raising a Jason, it's why it's that? because so it's because yeah yeah so part of it is companies founders here focus on building a business model with revenue creation and profitability go figure right um you know so they don't need as much capital early on they're bootstrapping have some early stage capital by the time they get to that phase the bigger VCs come in from the coast and jack up the valuations so that early and earlier investors, you know, assuming there's an exit, have a pretty good return on the, the money that came in early. Uh, we have other great features, uh, benefits in the Midwest. Cost of living is lower, world-class talent. We have one of the highest concentrations of IT talent coming out of any universities across the country. We have the second concentration of universities per capita outside of Boston. And we have, as I mentioned, we have the third largest CPS uh, uh, public school system in the country. As I mentioned, over 100 Fortune 500 companies. So we have a lot of great things happening here. And we have a lot of R&D money going into companies as well through universities. And so a lot of great things happening here, but a lot of it is focused on building companies for revenue and profitability. Uh, and then, then they get higher valuations as, as they get bigger. Why hasn't it happened sooner in Chicago? So we, we have had successes, you know, dating back to the, the first tech boom, but it's not consistent successes. We've had a lot more uh, things happening over the last seven years. A lot of, you know, we don't have as many serial entrepreneurs here and we don't have as many of the successful entrepreneurs staying here to build their next companies. Many times they leave and go on the coasts. let's say the West Coast is a common place. So we need more people that have had consistent successes to stay here, build new companies, invest in other companies. And that's really happening more and more now. We have so many local efforts here. And a lot of the efforts across the country, whether it's other VCs or support programs, are definitely taking notice of Chicago and the Midwest. So there's a lot of momentum now. And you know, it, it's just, it's a great place to be building a company and looking for investment opportunities. What about the companies that are in uh, Silicon Valley? Are you seeing any of the, we hear about Austin, we hear about Miami. I know we thought, I spoke with Fabio about it a bit. How, are you seeing any of the folks coming into Chicago, coming back to the roots or, or relocating there? And what do they give them? Why would they want to come? 
what does Chicago give them in terms of uh, are there any incentives to, to relocate their businesses there? Yeah, so it, it definitely is being one of the biggest things is the cost of living is just so much less. It's you know up to three times less than it is out west. And so you know, two to three times less. So people can build a business at a much uh, smaller amount, um, you know, whether it's employees, whether it's office space, whether it's living, living space. And especially if these founders are from the Midwest, they have roots here. So why not come back and build their company in a more cost-effective way, especially now with the lockdowns and the remote work, it makes a lot of sense. So you can be a big fish in Chicago, you know, relatively small pond compared to out west. And we have, it's a very tight-knit community here. We still have, you know, Chicagoland is still, you know, lots of people, but it's still a fairly tight-knit community. So we know each other and you can really make a name for yourself and really help the ecosystem. So it's really just the cost of living is, is a key factor. Also, we're a, you know, fairly central location in the country. And, you know, you've got the airports, which uh, O'Hare is one of the busiest airport in the world. So you've got that. You can go across the country fairly easily by being located here. So it really, you know, it depends on the motivation of the founder, but a lot of times it really comes down to the cost is more effective to be here in the Midwest. You know, I was reading a Den Palo Alto, like an average house uh, is over $2 million, right? I mean, uh, when I mean average, average small house, not big, 1,200, 1,400 square feet. So it's, so you're saying it's three times cheaper being in Chicago for that house. Absolutely. I mean, a 1,200 square foot house would be well under a million. I mean, you know, depending on location, it could be the suburbs, right, the city, but uh, definitely it would be a lot less. My brother lives in in Hillsboro, you know, outside of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Similar sized house, bigger yard. It's about five times the amount of what my house costs. And I live in the suburbs of Chicago. So he obviously lives in a higher, high demand area, but the fact is, big difference, right? And so salaries, I don't, you know, it may not be quite the same for salaries, but cost of living definitely with a housing cost is significant. What about taxes? How about uh, personal income tax? What What is Illinois charge in terms of tax? Is it the same nine, 12% as uh, California or is it less? It's a good question. I don't have that answer. I think it's uh, it's probably similar, but it's it's the housing taxes that are the we have we have a pretty big housing tax here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people go across the state to Wisconsin because it's cheaper. You know, actually, and there are signs used to be billboards right over the border. Come here, come move here. It's cheaper to live here, cheaper to do business really? here. Huh. Yeah. So there, you know, just north of the border, we've got some towns. And, you know, from where I live and, you know, there's definitely some, some business activity there. And, uh, you know, taxes are a big thing now, right? So they look at taxes, they look at the access to capital. How about capital, the access to capital? I mean, one thing about the Valley uh, being in Silicon Valley is that, you know, five minutes from my office, you can go to Sand Hill Road and you can find, you know, a, a lot of 
come a lot of money from places all over the world, whether it's a family office or VCs or angel investors, et cetera. What about in Chicago? I mean, how it's about the access to capital, right? And then the valuations. People complain outside of the Silicon Valley, the valuations aren't aren't uh, good. What's it like? So we definitely have capital here and there's more capital sources all the time. There's been a lot of micro funds that have been created the last five, six years. There's more angels that are visible in terms of providing, you know, guidance and of course capital. There's some big VCs in town. You know, there, there's there's a lot of family offices here. I'd say it's it's kind of spread out. It's suburbs and city. It's there's not one particular central location. Mm -hmm. And we have a couple of spots where you have a, several VCs that are office together, but it's pretty spread out. And you, we do not have a sand hill roll, rolled at all where you, you can just line up and go VC to VC. But we have, you know, most people are very accessible here. And so you just have to get a good introduction. Many of them hold open office hours as well. So you just have to know where to find them. But it's, you know, there's a lot of capital. We have a lot of old money here too. Mm -hmm. A lot of old families, families with family money. Uh, that are investing in funds or investing directly into companies. They're doing more and more of that, but there's, there's plenty of capital here. It's still a smidgen compared to out West, but there's still quite a, quite a bit And Chicago is the epicenter of the Midwest. So a lot of the activity is in Chicago, but there's other pockets that are really doing well too. You've got Minneapolis. That's got a lot of ed, uh, sorry, um, health tech. You've got, mm -hmm. um, you know, other areas, uh, you got St. Louis, Milwaukee, Columbus. I mean, there, there's, there's some Detroit even, you know, auto tech. I mean, there, there's a lot of things happening, but a lot of it still comes out of Chicago just because of the size and the, the, the scale of, of who we have here. Oh, that's interesting. So what, um, you know, so if you look at it, what's the prognosis? Look over the next five years. What do you think is going to happen in Chicago based on what's happening now? Uh, how do you see that? And, you know, I know I talk to startups every single day from all over the world, as you know, from the panels that we're on. But it's interesting to hear them. I mean, they're really looking for the support and, you know, what kind of support, not just financial support. Is there any infrastructure? You know, do they have events they can attend, pitching events, a lot of them. And um, so do they have is that do you see that increasing over the next Five years is it good now? I mean, what, what do you see? Are are they really with open arms? Because I know some of the challenges you hear communities and, and cities talk about it, but in reality, the arms aren't open, or it's um, you know the money's not smart, so they don't understand the mentality of so with some family offices, right? They don't understand the mentality of investing in AI startup. They don't understand where you can have hockey stick kind of growth. In a company, their thing is, well, we build it over time and it's intergenerational, multi-generational wealth. And But when it comes down to it, these are really the ways that, you know, the next Apple, the next Twitter, the next Google are being created today. So how how is it? I mean, is it, I guess for the first part, do they have that kind of open mentality that they understand that, you know, this is a whole different paradigm in terms of investing? It's not a brick and mortar store or apartment building. Do they have that? And two is, do you think they're sophisticated enough um, and, and understand it enough to be able to really be that smart money for the uh, startup? Yeah, we have 
a lot of efforts to boost up the ecosystem here and people have been doing it for many years. It's, it's recognized that, you know, we want to grow as a tech community. Now we have so many other industries here. We're not just tech, we have manufacturing food, uh, you know, obviously B2B tech. We, we've got a lot of different industries here, healthcare, biotech, a lot of it stems down to tech and that's where a lot of investors put their money into, but yeah, we're a fairly open community. There are, groups of entrepreneurs and investors that have put together different efforts to create the excitement to boost the ecosystem. We have something called 1871 that came out about seven years ago that is the US's largest called incubator or co-working space for the tech community. So they keep on expanding. It's a nonprofit, had a lot of state money put into it, had some wealthy individuals put money into it. And it houses hundreds of entrepreneurs, investors have office, have space there, universities have space there. So they built an ecosystem there, but ultimately it's a co-working space, but people have office hours, some tech stars ho uh, houses their program out of there. So it's a collaborative, collaborative hub where a lot of people, when they come to Chicago, they, they come to that location. We have many other locations. That's just the largest. There's a lot of events that happen there as well. And there's, a lot of different things every night of the week you can attend an event or multiple events so there's there's a lot of we have also chicago has the highest amount of female founder startups in the country so there's efforts for underserved yeah I'd, I'd effort even more efforts now as we all know for underserved and underrepresented founders so we have a group called p33 that is an effort that was put together by a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs and investors around making Chicago a tech, you know, one of the top tech areas in a fifth, over a 15 year plan. It, they've been around for a couple of years. They just created a fund um, to uh, to invest in Latin, Latino and and uh, female founders. And so, you know, there, we have other dedicated funds like that. So there's really a lot of uh, programs here to support uh, everything and people are very open. I mean, you can contact uh, anyone almost any time, and you most of the time you'll get a response, or you can easily find how to connect to someone through the community. As I said, it's very tight knit. Um, I run the Founder Institute chapter here in Chicago, which I've been doing for ten years. It's a global program. We were in the first twenty cities. Now it's in two hundred cities around the world, and I do a lot of events to bring the community together. I do a monthly founder night out where we bring entrepreneurs, investors, and other people together. Since the pandemic, we went virtual. Now we have a 3D event, a very immersive event where you have your own avatar walking around, controlling your own experience to meet people one-on-one. -on -one. We have a startup showcase. We have investors, as I mentioned, come. So I do, I personally put a lot of events on to support the community, and there's many other people that do that. So yeah, it's definitely supportive and people are open. and you know, Techstars brings people from other parts of the country into Chicago, you know, hopes that they'll stay here. So, you know, of course, also they support the local uh, entrepreneurs as well. So uh, there's there's plenty of efforts to try to bring people here and to boost it up, but also just to boost up what's already here. That's fantastic. So what kind of investments are you making right now? Yeah, so we have a few areas of interest, but we Obviously, we'll go outside of that, but B2B is our focus. So we invested in a future work company. It's actually the 3D virtual environment that I just mentioned. 
They're actually a graduate of the Founder Institute here in Chicago. We've done events with them since where April they, last year. Where are they from? Because I know another company that's like that from Canada, actually. I just yeah, Chicago. Uh, they're from Chicago originally, yeah? Yep. Uh, interesting. Because there was another company that's doing the same kind of thing, and they were talking about the They actually showed me. They've got the avatars. You can see them sitting in the seat, and then you can see if a professor or a speaker's up front. I don't know if yours is the same, but it's, it was a fascinating, actually, to see. It's almost like moving into the virtual, totally submerged, uh, uh, intrigued, and inside the virtual yeah. world. Yeah, they can set it up that way. It depends on the organizer, what they want to do. We do a event where I have a startup booths. We have um, sponsor booths. We have a virtual bar, of course. We have table topic discussions. No, so what, we created a virtual bar. How sorry, what was that? How does a virtual bar work? I'm really interested. Well, I mean, there's a bartender there. You go and get a drink and that's it. You can pick the type of drink you want and then you carry a big drink around with you in the event. So you go into the place, you get a drink from the bartender so you navigate over and, but it's not a real drink. It's a drink. Well, it's real in the virtual world. And then what do you do? Yeah. Sit around and talk and how's your drink? And <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you're just carrying it in your hand as you walk around, you just have it in your hand. It's another prop. So you can change your hair. You can change your, you can change your clothes. You can put a hat on, you can put glasses on, you can put a mask on. They've got all these different ways to customize your avatar. You can set the drink down as well. And then, you know, that once you're done with it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting experience. I, I, we helped create the environment that our events are in since April of last year. We, we, we could, our last in-person event was in February of last year. And then April we went virtual and it was very unique and different than what anyone was used to. So we've done now nine of them and we have another one coming up as well. Oh, that sounds cool. That sounds really cool. So we're coming to the top of the hour. What are your final closing thoughts and how can people reach you? Yeah, I'm very bullish on the Midwest and you know, there's a lot of great opportunities here, not only to start a company, but also as an investor to find great, reasonably priced, uh, reasonable valuation. So I'm excited about what we're going to see here going forward in the Midwest. So I'm excited to build the fund and to find great opportunities. Uh, people can find me on LinkedIn, as well as my email, jason at propellant.vc, P-R-O-P-E-L-L-A-N-T.vc. Well, I want to thank you, Jason. I appreciate you taking time out of busy schedule to join my show today. It's great to be here. So, uh, audience, I hope you enjoyed it. We'll stay tuned because we'll be back next week with another exciting episode as GSD Venture Studios presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. So thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it. And I'll see you soon, Jason. Great. Thank you, Gary. Thank you.